welcome to High Tide, Low Tide, the podcast where we talk about all things mental health and where we share our stories with the knowledge that it could just be the lifeline of hope for someone who is hurting and afraid that they're the only one. I'm your host, Lisa Scanlon, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. Just a little reminder here, guys, that we are discussing mental health in this episode, so we may touch on things like suicide or self-harm, which may be a trigger for you. As always, I'll pop resources in the show notes or know that you can call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hey guys, and welcome back to High Tide, Low Tide. This is the very first episode for 2023. So thank you all so much for joining me again. I hope you've all had a wonderful Christmas, holidays, New Year's, um, whatever it is that you might have been celebrating over this time. And yeah, I'm very, very excited today that I am joined by the wonderful Kane Dover. So thank you very much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, we are actually recording this episode uh, on the 23rd of December. <laughs> um, so even bigger thank you to you for joining me this close to Christmas. Do you have much planned for the holidays yourself? Lots of R&R, I think. It's yeah. been a very big year, I think, for everyone. So lots of family time, lots of downtime, mm-hmm. hopefully lots of beach time. So it's going it to be good. amazing. <laughs> um, we've got a beautiful day today. I think it's somewhere in the 30s and into the next few days, um, I think it's meant to be getting up to about 40 degrees next so. week. Um, so anyone who's listening over in... <laughs> the UK or my friends over, I know I've got a few listeners over in like Sweden and Denmark. So they're going to be like, what? <laughs> it's probably snowing over there at the moment. So the opposite to what you guys are having over there for a nice white Christmas. Thank you again for joining me. Would you like to just give the listeners a little bit of an introduction to you and who you are? Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. And yeah, likewise, sharing your your time this close to Christmas. It's uh, going to be an exciting time to catch up. So I guess a little bit about me. I am a real estate agent day to day. And if we were to kind of strip back the surface layer, I would say that I'm a person well on the path of my own healing. And that's kind of gone to the level of being able to be of service to others. And a great quote that I picked up over the years by my late brother, Parker Sherry, is to be of service to others, you must first be fit for service. So I feel like the last few years have been a lot of getting fit for service and this last 12 months have, have been of service yeah. to others in the community. And it's been a very special time. Yeah. I think I shared something the other day on Instagram and you liked it that was like healed people heal people yeah right? absolutely and yeah it was the the saying of hurt people hurt people and healed people heal people and that is so accurate yeah and I think that kind of ties back into what you're saying and I guess like the path that you're on as well yeah exactly right and I thought it was a very fitting quote and one that you beat me to it uh, bringing up today so thank you <laughs> yes um I always ask my guests this when especially because somehow I've come and we've crossed paths how do we know each other? 
Instagram, I guess. Yeah. Adelaide is a very small space. So, yeah, I think we just connected there and have a lot of similarities in mm-hmm. our approach to mental health and wanting to share the message and being of service to others. So I'm very grateful that our paths have crossed. Yeah, me too. And, like, we didn't know each other, like, prior to, what, a week ago yeah, or so? Exactly. So I, I think had... we'd been, yeah, Instagram friends for a couple of weeks and then yeah. you broke the ice, I so thanks. think I stalked you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I obviously was following Man on Purpose, which um, we'll talk about in the episode. And then I think from there I found your page. So I was like, all right, I want to get this guy on the podcast, but I better, like, send him a follow first or request a follow first. <laughs> And it's just gone from there. And obviously in conversations that we've had now, we've got a lot of, um, yeah, like you said, similarities and a lot of mutual friends. So I guess that's, yeah, that makes that connection really nice, you know? Absolutely. And I've got a list of people you should get on here after me. So yeah. So I'm sure there's probably people who are going to listen to that and be like, oh, he's talking about me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's get into the episode. So obviously... Um, on the podcast, we talk through people's um, mental health journey. Where would you say your this, yours starts? I mean, we all have mental health, you know, so this is obviously it goes back to being a child. But for you, I guess, where does it start? Yeah, exactly. And it's it's like when you watch a movie and you see like all these like massive things happen and then it says like 10 years before, right? And you kind of backtrack. Yeah. So the that impact and that moment for me was a, about a week in 2018 where I was helping build a, a company over in America with a couple of buddies that in the span of two and a half years we'd taken from working out of an Airbnb on a ranch in mm-hmm. uh, outback Austin, Texas mm-hmm. to growing it to about 160 staff. Share price had run up from 11 cents to nearly $5. We were all super excited. My ego absolutely <laughs> loved every second of it, being the Aussie and then at that time living in LA, the sales manager, all of the things that come with it. But within a matter of a week, the company had filed for bankruptcy, making our visa null and void. And mm. my girlfriend at the time had broken up with me and my dad, who was super sick, passed away. So if people talk about the dark nights of the soul, that was the week that had me reflecting and looking at myself a lot like, I guess, not really liking the person that I was showing up as, the partner, the mm-hmm. leader, the son, the friend. And I was not the sales manager anymore. I wasn't the partner. I was just Kane, the person. And to be honest, I didn't really like who that was looking back at me in the mirror. So that kind of started the journey for me to get to sort of where I am now. And as I mentioned earlier about learning to be fit for service and that first started with learning to love myself again. But to kind of backtrack that, if that was kind of the culmination of years of conditioning, what had kind of led me to that point will, you know, go backtrack 15 years earlier yeah. or so, right? So I think for me and, you know, if you had asked me this prior to 2018, what's your mental health like? It was so far from my awareness, I would have told you that it was great having such little understanding and self-reflection at the time. So if I jump back to childhood and I guess growing up in a family where, you know, my parents' relationship wasn't necessarily the best and oftentimes they would verbally argue and things yeah. like this. And I feel like a lot of it had stemmed from my dad and mm-hmm. having him grow up the way that he did 
as an adult, I now understand that he had childhood trauma that he never dealt with, right? You know, yeah. he was he was beaten, he was abused, he was neglected, told to eat outside on Sundays because he wasn't part of the family and things like wow. this. And, you know, my grandpa who had passed before I was born came back from the war who had PTSD, which, you know, affected my dad's relationship with him. And, you know, going back to then as a child, having a very distant relationship with my father, having a being very emotionally absent, even though he was there, right? Mm-hmm. He was out in the shed working, mm-hmm. working on the cars. I, you know, I believe we connected on this one earlier. Yeah. And he was never, never emotionally available and never there. And as a child growing up, I took it very personally mm-hmm. uh, compared to my sister, for example, I feel. And I felt that I wasn't good enough, which stemmed to self-esteem issues, self-worth issues, uh, lovability issues, all of those things. And couple that with at the time getting bullied pretty badly in school, it was a, a huge hit to my yeah, self-limiting beliefs then became pretty apparent and yeah, for a yeah. period there I was feeling like pretty worthless. So yeah. having that kind of stem and be at the root of my being kind of growing up, going through high school and then g- gaining a few friends through high school and then you start, you know, leaning into things like drugs and alcohol for self-medicating and mm-hmm. finding myself in groups of people that may not have been the best uh, influence on me and vice mm-hmm. versa at the time and wanting to just be a part of a group and having friends was a, a big driver for me and mm-hmm. wasn't very respectful for myself in who I had surrounded myself with. And same could be said for, you know, romantic relationships that I found myself into that they weren't necessarily the best for me. Some of them were a little bit mentally abusive in a way and uh, a lot of gaslighting and things like that in there. Yeah. And then maybe just being with people that had, you know, not the best fit for me, but wanting to be with someone, right? Because being with yes, someone, it was that yeah. external validation of being worthy of love, you know? Yeah. I can completely relate to that, definitely. Mm. And so that kind of carried through, you know, it wasn't until if I jump ahead to after that week in 2018, mm-hmm. I actually wanted a bit of a break. You know, we had invested everything in this company overseas. I moved back uh, for dad's funeral. And then mm-hmm. I ended up moving out to central Australia where we started working with kids in care and we're starting to read books on trauma and learn about how to work with young people with trauma. And as I'm learning about trauma mm-hmm. and reading books like the body keeps the score, I'm realizing that so much of it applied to me. And I'm like, wow, like that's my dad. I'm like, oh, that's why yeah. I feel like this. And it's, it almost started that, that thread. And then I, I started pulling at that thread <laughs> and realized that as I'm learning to work with these kids, I'm actually learning more about myself and my relationship with my family and that yeah. masculine line. So it it's, had been, yeah, just astonishing. It's, I guess like, it's just really interesting that like, you know, you were talking about the things that happened and you know, in your family when you were younger and it's the same with myself as well. You you don't realise that things have affected how you view yourself or you don't realise that's what what's happening around you is affecting your self-worth or, you know, and that's why you choose to be in certain relationships and whatnot. But it's just so amazing that after all these years you know, you've now started learning about it and you can start to like unpick everything that's happened from mm-hmm. when you were a child. It's, I don't know, like, and I just feel like not enough people are doing that. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And it's, 
I had an experience this week. I was chatting to a buddy who had, you know, he's come so far in his own growth and development. And this is a buddy that I think would do amazing on your podcast. <laughs> and he's, you know, met by his his um, greater family by a little bit of friction because of the life that he's living now of full, you know, self-expression and mm. speaking his mind and being true to himself is now, you know, causing other people to get a little bit triggered sort of thing. So it's that, yeah. that oftentimes can be a bit of a fear for some people, right? You know, they don't want to go against the grain or they don't want to stand out too much because being seen may be associated with being bullied, which was my case, which is why I never wanted to be seen. Yeah. And a lot of people now I feel like are just surviving, let alone mm-hmm. having the ability to sit back, reflect and actually want to work on themselves. We're mm-hmm. very lucky to be living in Australia where we we do have a lot of those baselines sort of covered compared to, you know, third world countries and and some other places and even some western countries at the moment. Yeah. But it's it's something that I feel like unfortunately especially for men it needs to be that hit rock bottom before mm-hmm. people drag themselves off and mm-hmm. actually want to work on themselves. It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, that was the way it was for me and apparently what I needed to yeah. to reflect. So, Why do you think it is like that for men? It's a great question. I think, I think for men especially at the moment, we are in a society where it's, it's hard to, to be a man because being a man is associated with so much negativity at the moment and yeah. the word, you know, you know the words tox, toxic masculinity come into it and yeah. I talk a little bit about it in one of my reflections from my time in Peru in that a lot of these inherently what people call, you know, quote-unquote masculine traits, which is being assertive, being disciplined, being direct, oftentimes can be used for the negative. It doesn't mean those things are inherently negative, right? But society as a whole has kind of taken a lot of these attributes considered to be male Mm -hmm. and called it toxic masculinity. And without proper guidance, you know, we don't have, especially in Australian society, we don't have things like elders to teach our young men what that rite of passage is to become a man. And we have a lot of these, especially now, like influences that people look up to that mm-hmm. think, okay, that's what I need to be to become a man or mm-hmm. or otherwise. So I think at the moment we're seeing a lot of a lot of people that just don't know, like yeah. what, what does it mean to be a man? Yeah. And there's a lot of people feeling a little bit lost. And I feel like it's that that trend where if you, like my grandpa, for example, that had PTSD, which then gets passed on to my dad in various yeah. ways and then... It's generational. Correct, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because like as a child, you, I mean, your parents are your first and most important role model. So, you know, I, and I could reflect this back on to myself if I think about how my mother is, I'm very similar to her, like in how she acts and how she loves and how she looks after people and things like that. So I can see that if, you know, you consider that there's these aspects of being passed down from a great-grandfather to the grandfather to your father and then that's your main role model, like it's it's no wonder that these things are being passed down because that's what you see. Yeah. So I guess, and like you said, like for a long time there's, you know, been this, view around like toxic masculinity and I believe that there is a lot of that out there but I think like you said it's you know being assertive isn't necessarily a negative thing it's you know how you are assertive if Mm. that makes sense 
Yeah, exactly right. And that was my experience. And it it was something that I unconsciously did when I was young, because when my parents would fight and argue, Mm -hmm. and I would wake up and hear them and come out and tell them to be quiet, so they wouldn't wake up my sister. And it was things where I would see my dad that was being aggressive, being Mm -hmm. assertive, being direct, being a little bit overbearing, you know, he never physically assaulted my mum to the best of my knowledge or anything like that. And she said that he never did. So Mm -hmm. just want to clear that up. But it was as a, as a young man, I was, must've been between eight and 10 at the time. And Mm -hmm. I just had vowed to myself that I never wanted to be like my dad. And so what I unconsciously did was take all of those traits, being direct, being aggressive, being assertive, and I put them all in this box and I taped mm-hmm. it up and I put chains around it and I wrote on there, like, do not open and what not to do. And I, like, stored yeah. it in the back of my psyche. And when my parents ended up finally splitting up, I stayed with my mum and my sister and I feel like I lived a lot of my life in my feminine mm-hmm. and I didn't really have a backbone in a lot of times. I wouldn't stick up for myself. And I feel like that was a big part of me kind of locking those aspects of myself away. But those traits themselves aren't necessarily negative. Like I said, it's about how are they used because if you take those same traits and apply it to business, being assertive, being direct, being aggressive in a, you know, a positive way or even protecting your family, right, Mm -hmm. you need to be able to call on those things. Mm -hmm. And then if they're used for the positive, then they're, you know, that's just how they're being used as a positive. They're They're just tools, right? Absolutely. And you almost so like, you know, when I was saying before, you know, it gets passed down from the great grandfather, blah, blah, blah. You almost did, we well, did the opposite, really. You didn't take those on board and I guess replicate that behavior, right? You, like you said, you put it in a box and taped mm. it all up and left it in the back. So that's interesting as well. It is. And also unhealthy. You know, you need yeah. to have a, a fully integrated, you know, both at both the masculine and feminine within ourselves, right? And so I had spent so much of my time in my feminine that I found that I was actually attracting women and partners that were completely in their masculine because of the polarity. And after realising that and then consciously working on like bringing in those masculine aspects, I found myself being interested in things like riding motorbikes, getting into Mm. mixed martial arts and jujitsu. And I had actually found that, not only was I becoming attracted to different types of women, Mm -hmm. different types of women were becoming attracted to me that were more in their feminine because I was stepping into my masculine, which is a much more, I guess, healthy way to be. And naturally we're going to find people throughout our lives that are more in their masculine, more Mm -hmm. in their feminine. You even see that in same-sex couples. Oftentimes one, uh, whether it be two males or two females, Mm -hmm. will be more in their masculine and the other more in their feminine and then those opposites attracting mm-hmm. so I found that you know from my own perspective anyway yeah and we when we caught up the other week we were having this like a similar conversation and I was saying because I've started doing work on myself around the masculine and feminine and if anyone's listening and you've got no idea what we're talking about <laughs> like go and google it there's so much information out there and I was saying that for years I have I guess like taken care of myself by being so much in the masculine because the men in my life weren't particularly reliable or that's my interpretation of it anyway. Um, Or, you know, I couldn't trust that they were going to do something that they said they were going to do or they weren't going to fix the thing they said they were going to fix the thing. So I've had to, yeah, pretty much default to being in my masculine for so long that I'm now trying to, I guess, relearn how to 
be more in my feminine. I don't know how you would explain that. Probably not that way. But you asked me, oh, so does that mean that you've been attracting men in their feminine? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I've just been attracting men in their masculine who are super um, unavailable. <laughs> so that didn't do, me, didn't do me very well either. But it's a very interesting topic. And it's one of those things like um, if, uh, if you've listened to my last podcast where I was talking about how I did some work with Georgia Simicek, who you also know because Adelaide, yeah. yo. <laughs> yeah, amazing human. Um, so we did some inner child work and then I also did a like 10 day container with her on feminine mask energy and I just feel like I've learned so much in like the last two weeks and you know I talk about how the inner child work you know did so much for me that I hadn't been able to break down in years of counseling and psychologist appointments so I just feel like if you don't know what we're talking about you need to go and look it up because more people need to be working on this stuff for sure yeah and it's all encompassing it's not one or the other right it's inner child work it's masculine and feminine it's learning how to love yourself again because (laughs) I am a big believer in you can only connect and love others to the depth that you connect and love yourself and looking back to my dad's relationship with himself he didn't love himself I don't even know if he liked himself so how could he possibly love others and those around him no wonder he felt so isolated even though he was surrounded by people yeah naturally we've digressed which is amazing (laughs) and I love this stuff but so if we think about obviously you know your story we've gone back a bit to your childhood and how things were growing up then you found yourself in this amazing job over in the states in a relationship with um a wonderful person Mm -hmm. and then things all kind of fell apart. Yes. And at the same time, um, your dad sad, sadly passed away. That obviously um, meant that you had to move back to Australia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then so what was it like? Like what sort of place were you in when you got back on Aussie soil? Yeah, it was a, it was a challenging week when we had... And this is the to reflect on who I was as a person at the time. So we realized we had the company was now worth nothing. Our visas were cancelled. And I thought it would be a great idea to distract myself by going to Coachella with my friends. Well, I mean, YOLO. <laughs> yeah. However, that also came at the impact of my relationship where I was supposed to be going to meet her family for the first time and have her mm. go through a graduation. So that was just the where I was at at the time, it was very self-serving. I wasn't really thinking about others and Mm -hmm. it was almost a bit of a self-sabotage in a way. And I realized that I needed to get my shit together, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And coming home was going to be the best way to do that, where I could just head down, bum up for a little while, work, clear Mm -hmm. some debt that I'd accumulated that I had counted on being covered by the shares we were getting paid in bonus that were now worth nothing. Yeah. So that was fantastic. And my dad had been battling cancer for a few years prior and 71 at the time. So I booked my flight home and I thought, you know, it'll be a great opportunity to at least see him and, and, and get things back together. And the morning I was supposed to be flying out, I got the call saying that he passed away. So yeah, yeah that was a, a bit of a kick way down moment. It must have been awful. Yeah, it was challenging. Even, you know, we have challenging relationships with people, cha- mm. challenging relationships with our parents. You know, it's still your dad. So Absolutely. Yeah, flying home was a challenge, especially, you know, when it's a solid <laughs> couple of flights. But how did you keep it together on the flight? Do you think you just um, numbed it 
out. Yeah, and that's what I'd done for a long time. Yeah. And numbing was just the way of keeping ourselves safe and something that I learned very quickly when I was younger. You know, you numb yourself, unfortunately, you become numb to not only the bad but also the good. So I'd been very mm-hmm. numb for a 12 years. Wow, and yeah. The only, the uh, maybe even longer, and the way to feel was to drink. And party and yeah, yeah I'm going to get you out of your head for a little while. So I'm glad mm. I've learned some other ways to do that. Yes, me too. <laughs> so coming home, had the funeral, and I think at the time I was still so angry at him and mm-hmm. not necessarily at him, but angry at the situation that we didn't have a good relationship. Yeah. And whenever I would try and work towards it, and this is me trying to work towards that while he was alive, being that version of myself was always met with friction was always met with empty words and so it was really hard and as a as an interesting turn of events the universe has a good sense of humor his passing was actually the beginning of our healing because I was able to fully open myself up without the fear of being hurt again by something he says or does and it was yeah it's been a beautiful beautiful healing journey since so from then, yeah, moved moved up to Central Australia and started working with young people in care mm-hmm. and adult uh, disability support as well. So mm-hmm. I found myself just throwing myself into work. So that was another version of distracting myself. Yeah. But I was able to clear uh, a, an amazing amount of debt plus save plus mm-hmm. it gave me the ability to start travelling again. And if for anyone that's been to Central Australia, that land out there is so healing in itself and a very masculine energy and I feel Mm -hmm. like that played a huge role um just connection to country in my own healing so and I've heard other people say that as well if anyone's been following me as well they know I went up to Alice this year and on a fundraising trek where we did the West McDonald Ranges Mm -hmm. the Lara Pinta Trail and you know, I've ne- I had never done anything like that before that's a whole nother story but like there is just like something about the energy and the ranges mm. and I don't know how to explain it, but a lot of people who have been out there have just said they felt such a connection when they're there. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, yeah. And Alice itself is almost like a little time capsule in a mm. way. You get there and it feels like it could be the early 90s. <laughs> it's like, it's something else. And it's then, an interesting town. It is. City, town, town. Yeah. It and is. then two minutes in any direction and you're out bush. It's so yeah. special. Yeah. yeah, it's a very special place. Did you go to Uluru? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't make it there because yeah. it's that little bit too far from where we were, mm. but that would have been incredible. Yeah, it's a very powerful place. Yeah. So obviously the work that you were doing when you were there would have been, you know, quite challenging, but I would imagine quite rewarding at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And I... And this is, again, kind of coming back to the the dad story. When mm-hmm. I was about 18, 19, I started working, doing child protection work here in South Australia mm-hmm. and was really enjoying it. And, you know, you're working with kids and I feel like I'm a big kid with, like, too much energy. So <laughs> having kids to play with and, and yeah. take them out exploring is so much fun. And I remember I told my dad that I had considered, like, getting a job in the mines. Mm-hmm. And his response to that was, like, yeah, good. Like, working as a youth worker, you're a loser, basically. So, uh, again, that's just yeah. a, a projection of where he's at sort of thing. But at the time, being my unaware self, like, it's like daggers, right? So yeah, of course. Kind of coming back to that after his passing was almost like coming full circle and realising that yeah. I really did love being of service to others and helping people. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing, like 
loserish about that at all. Not if anything, all. it's like the pinnacle of, you know, human existence to be of service yeah. to others and helping people. Absolutely. And again, it's just a reflection of where he was at. Right. Yeah. And I can say that now, like yeah. without any emotions coming up. But at the time I'm like, you fuck him up. Yeah. Well, not course. even, you know, like just reverted back to a little kid being like, I don't have dad's approval sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was really special. And we ended up being so short staffed. I was working so many hours a week it was Mm -hmm. sometimes up to over 100 hours a week working with these young people and when you spend that much time with a a family it's it becomes like super close super special you you share all these birthdays christmases events with these young people when you watch them grow it's so special yeah i can imagine like that's what being a parent would be like i'm super grateful to be able to have and be able to see that with my nephew now too. So yeah, it's something absolutely. so special about watching kids grow and teaching them things. Right? Yeah. So and watching that learning process that they have. Yeah, exactly. Really good. Exactly. Yeah. And I know we're getting there the long way around, but it was um, once I started learning about trauma to mm-hmm. better relate to these young people to know that so that I knew not how to trigger them, right? Yeah. You know, like if you're working with young people with trauma, it might be a caring gesture to place your hand on their shoulder, but if they've been physically abused, that could be a huge trigger for them. So I started devouring books on trauma, on communication, and I started to learn more about myself than I did about these young people and obviously learning to apply it to the young people, but more so it was helping me understand why my dad was the way he was Mm -hmm. and why I was responding the way I was and, and why my grandpa was the way he was based on the war and things like that. So it was this, it was this beautiful turn of events that I never expected moving, Mm -hmm. moving to Alice Springs. Mm -hmm. And that started uh, that coming up after my dad's passing allowed me to, like I said, go from a place of being, very angry with him or the situation to getting a place of being very neutral. And at the time I then had begun looking into and wanting to dive deeper into my own healing. So I started researching things like yoga retreats and silent retreats and um, being able to work with a a Nungari, a traditional Aboriginal healer out there, the connection to to nature and connection to country and Mm -hmm. doing a lot of ancestral healing. And if anyone doesn't know what ancestral healing is or anything is, like throw some stuff in the comments and more than happy to have a chat about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, what ancestral healing is, is like healing that masculine line, like with mm-hmm. my dad, with his father and and beyond. So mm-hmm. I feel like the work I'm doing now is not only healing down the chain to my future kids, but also up the chain healing what my dad went through and his dad. And yeah. Yeah. So, and through that, I then found a couple of different things that I felt called to. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of that was specifically plant medicine. Mm-hmm. And if anyone listens to like the Aubrey Marcus podcast, I think he had, he had gone on Joe Rogan's podcast early on and he, I think it was like podcast 159 or something like way okay, back. Yeah. I think Joe Rogan's <laughs> like 2000 now or something. You'll be yeah. there one day. But, um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's an awesome content. So the one of the things that stood out for me was, and at the time I hadn't really considered going down the path of the traditional therapy. I didn't really feel like that was for me. Um, I dated a psychologist for a couple of years and I was like, no, not for me. Yeah. So that's what you mean by traditional. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So psycho, like, yeah, correct. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. And so then I started journaling. I found Mm -hmm. a beautiful group in Alice that were doing like cold exposure, ice baths, breath Mm -hmm. work, meditation. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was someone that's also 
always so go, 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 Mm -hmm. calming down, slowing down, being patient, Mm -hmm. being present was uh, an experience that I hadn't really had before. And I had this, yeah, beautiful group of people Mm -hmm. up there and they were very connected to the country as well. And it was just open this whole new world for me. Mm -hmm. And going back to what I used to do to get out of my head and into my body was like drugs, alcohol, all of these substances that are very, yeah, destructive to the body and the mind. And then I'd substituted those with an ice bath, with breath work, with meditation, doing the same thing, getting you out of your analytical mind and into your body and being present and feeling. And Mm -hmm. it was a beautiful experience. And after following along with Aubrey, listening to a few of his uh, medicine journeys, mm-hmm. uh, specifically ayahuasca at the time, mm-hmm. and hearing his experience of going down to the Amazon jungle in Peru and, and working with these plant medicines and then doing a lot more research and hearing people talk about their experiences being like 100 days of psychotherapy in one night and mm-hmm. having people come out the other side and having like a clear vision of their purpose for their life and mm-hmm. having done so much healing. And for me, everything that was being said just like spoke to me at a really deep level and I was like, wow, maybe that's that's what I need and I was really feeling called to it. Yeah. And for anyone that is listening, you know, when it comes to things like plant medicine and, you know, it's all about the intention. And mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that my intention going there wasn't to just chase a, a high experience because all of these things are illegal in, in Western society and yeah. uh, passed down in traditions for thousands of years mm-hmm. when done correctly in, you know, in Peru and in South America. So I wanted to make sure that I was coming to it with the right intention and mm-hmm. wanting to heal and, Again, the universe having a, a bit of a sense of humor, the one retreat center that I really liked the sound of and I really felt that was calling to me was no longer holding retreats. Classic. So, yeah, classic, <laughs> right? So they were on hold because uh, Don Howard, uh, the founder, was actually quite sick at the time. So okay. he uh, they had postponed that and I thought, okay, well, maybe this is a good a lesson in patience. Right. So about six months went past and it was still on my mind. I'd looked Mm -hmm. into a couple of other retreats, but hadn't found anything that, yeah, really aligned. So I just waited. Yeah. And so funnily enough, just before my 30th birthday, I reached out to them and found out that they were holding their retreats again, which was, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. So we got into contact and I get an email back from this guy, Parker Sherry, who Mm -hmm. later become like a soul brother to me. Yeah. And he had kind of taken over while Don Howard was super sick. So submitted my application to make sure that I was, you know, coming for the right reasons. And oh, there's an application yeah, process. Absolutely. I think again, you know, just wanting to make sure that people yeah. coming there are coming with the right intentions, wanting to heal, wanting to mm-hmm. grow and not just chasing that that drug experience because it, it yeah. really is and it's a it's a medicine when you're ready for it. Yeah. So submitted my application and within about a month, I think I was over there getting picked up from the airport in Iquitos, Peru Mm -hmm. and jumped on a boat and headed down into the Amazon jungle. And wow. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty wild. I, um, I was so scared that before I left, I had wrote my mum like a letter of like, just in case I like something happened and I got eaten by a jaguar or something (laughs) like, you know, here's my password to my bank, like all everything. I'm like, here's everything. I love you so much thanks yeah uh, just because I had no Whoa. clue what to expect right yeah because naturally when you dive down a path of YouTube and Google and you start yeah. researching this stuff you hear about all the negative stuff too so and I imagine you probably had 
don't, didn't know anyone who'd ever done this before. No, previously, because no so that would you know that would play on my nerves as well for yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So watching a few YouTube uh, yeah. episodes on podcasts from um, from Joe Rogan and Aubrey Marcus mm-hmm. had me feeling a little bit calmer. But again, it was into the unknown, and sometimes yeah. you just have to trust. So yeah, that was an amazing experience and. We found our way into the jungle and yeah. into this, what I describe as like the most amazing like tree house you've ever seen. Like we've like come around this corner in this little boat in the Amazon and it's just this mansion made of like timber, like, and it's the most amazing like playground you've yeah. ever seen. And it's the retreat center that we were at called Spirit Quest. So like I'm try- picturing it as you're talking, like my brain is like trying to form a picture of it and yeah. it just seems like something... That you is it like what I would think is in a movie, like because that's what I'm thinking. Like yeah. this little like river in front, yep. and you can like all the big trees, and it's very green, exactly. and you can hear the birds. Yes, and, yes, that like, what probably other times ten. So there's, I mean, there's lots of snakes, lots of spiders, lots of bugs, but yeah. then you've got like the jaguar, which is like revered in their culture as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, lots of like monkeys and other animals and Did you just ever beautiful see any, birds. Any of the jaguars? No, we didn't. Monkeys? No, yeah, we did yeah. see monkeys. Yeah, they were good fun. Could you hear the jaguars? I'm very no, interested. No, no. So they're, I think they're a little bit more Rare. seen, yeah, a little bit yeah. more seen in other areas compared to yeah. where we were. But <laughs> Probably was, for safety reasons. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you're literally in the middle of the jungle. Yeah. so And it's so dense. Like, it's yeah. wild. And, you know, Amazing. you look like 10 metres in one direction, you're like, and I can't see anything. And you look the other way, and you're like, and I can't see anything. Wow. I'm just going to stick on the path. Yeah. So That's incredible. Yeah, it was very special. So you pull up to this mansion treehouse. What's next? So the first day we get in there, we are kind of in orientation. And so yeah. Parker meets us, who's like this six foot four American dude who like speaks <laughs> fluent Spanish. So he was like the perfect mediator for the group. There was people from all over the world came in. I think there was about nine of us on this retreat. Okay. That's a good size. Not too many. Yeah, it was nice and intimate it was perfect and you know once you go through what I'm about to explain to you guys you very quickly (laughs) become like family with these people so yeah although I went down there alone I I came back a better version of myself and with tons of tons of new friends so it was very special yeah so the first day was orientation and we had an opportunity to kind of meet the what uh the uh, ayahuasqueros which is like a third generation family that work with ayahuasca specifically Mm -hmm. and we met them we started to prepare the medicine together and the ayahuasca brew specifically Mm -hmm. is actually made up of a a few different plants so Mm -hmm. the ayahuasca vine itself doesn't actually contain any active ingredients um, but what it does contain is what's called an mao inhibitor a monoamine oxidase inhibitor and Mm -hmm. what that is is because uh, there's what's called DMT, which is dimethyltryptamine, which is the active ingredient in ayahuasca, and that's what mm-hmm. gives you the vision, so to speak. Yeah. So that occurs naturally in a lot of Australian natives even. So like the mm-hmm. Australian acacia has some of the highest content of DMT on the planet. But if you <laughs> eat it, that it MAO that MAO enzyme in your body breaks it down. So you mm-hmm. don't feel that. But by including the ayahuasca vine, it actually makes it orally active so that when you drink it, it actually gives you those effects, right? Yeah. So you don't all need to run out and like find an <laughs> acacia don't. tree no. because it's not going to do anything anyway. I would highly <laughs> recommend against that. Yeah. Especially if you're just tasting that high experience, I'd say probably don't work with the medicine. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. It's all about Definitely setting. Definitely not. <laughs> so 
that combined with a couple of other companion plants. So one is yeah. a chacruna leaf, which contains the NNDMT and working with those two together uh, actually make the brew orally active. So we all had an opportunity to work with the plants, get our hands on it and help nice. create the brew, which yeah. was a beautiful way to kind of set our intentions and put that into a, into the brew together, which was lovely. Yeah. And then it was kind of boiled down over the next 24 hours um, by the ayahuasqueros. Mm-hmm. And the first ceremony, I believe, was the following night. Mm-hmm. And there's no Wi-Fi. There's mm-hmm. no, you don't have to worry about cooking food. They provide everything. So it's just an opportunity for you to disconnect, connect back with yourself, connect in with nature. And the sounds are just so beautiful. It's mm-hmm. silent besides the wind in the trees and all of the birds and animals. And it's just yeah. so stunning. So that in itself is super healing, right? Of course, yeah. Anyway, so we... We settle in to the evening. Now, ayahuasca is something that's typically consumed at night in the evening. Mm-hmm. And we met in the ceremonial maloka. So a maloka is like a circular hut, so mm-hmm. to speak, that had like um, like mosquito wire kind of all the way around it so that we weren't bothered by bothered by the, uh, the bugs. But it's just this perfect timber circular rotunda in a way and it's just like stunning it's like beautifully beautifully made and it's like an art form in itself so we only have candlelight and Mm -hmm. we all get called up and our opportunity to to drink the brew Mm -hmm. which is you're not there for the taste let's be honest it tastes like a the best way I can describe it is like a sour bitter like if you've left like an iced coffee in the sun for like five days, like it's <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. So what did it look like? It looks like a like a dodgy like what latte. You just described. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> thick. It's like you know how when you get like a black coffee and you tip like a little bit of milk in there and it's like just yeah. slightly lightens the color. It kind of looks like that. Right. Some chunks floating in there. Oh, good. Yeah, it's delicious. And so you're really there to do the <laughs> you're really work. You're not there part. to chase the. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not here for a nice, uh, nice drink. Not at all. And how much? Like, is it like a, a like a, a mug's worth? Is it like a yeah. half a cup? I would have said it would have been, and it was with the cup that it was. It was like a half coconut sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah. it is what it looked like, and so it would have been anywhere between two hundred and two hundred and fifty mils in okay. this cup. So, so a few, a few swallows. Yes, it was a chunk. <laughs> it's not just a shot. No. It's a few swallows. <laughs> well, well, that's what it was there. So different, different retreat centers have different yeah. preparations, and yeah. so some boil it down and reduce it so much that it it, it is a shot. But, uh, but how they've prepared one. it and how it's been passed down from their dad and of their course. grandfather is, yeah. is the preparation that we had. So yeah. Uh, they keep it to their own traditions and on that their own tradition so every family has their own what they call ikaros which is like a song that they sing to the medicine Mm -hmm. and so this family have these ikaros that get passed down and passed down from generation to generation to sing to the spirit of the medicine Mm -hmm. and ayahuasca is often considered like mother ayahuasca or grandmother ayahuasca because it's a very feminine energy that you work Mm -hmm. with and it kind of comes ebbs and flows in these lessons and well, it's a very visual experience oftentimes, but it's mm-hmm. also very different every time, right? But for a lot of people, they do get a lot of like visions in their mind's eye and, and things yeah. like that. So oftentimes the medicine will work with you how you learn as well. So if you're someone that takes things in audibly, it might give you messages via sound or, yeah. or you know, physical sensations if you're a kinesthetic person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I, I learn a lot visually. So a lot of my messages came through visually. Mm-hmm. So we're settling into the first mm-hmm. ceremony and I drank my cup and we kind of worked our way around the room. 
and we sat with like one candle on for probably about 20 minutes and yep. then they blow the candle out and you're pitch black like in the mm-hmm. middle of the Amazon at night, no light pollution anywhere and you yeah. just hear the sounds of the jungle and then the the shamans begin their uh, ikaros and they have mm-hmm. a shakapa which is just made up of like some dry leaves and so when they shake it, it just makes this like shh, 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 sound which is like super melodic and it sounds mm-hmm. super basic but when everything's heightened it's like perfect. Yeah. And I, I must have said it, it might have been about 30 minutes, 45 minutes when the medicine started to, to kick in. Mm-hmm. And it felt like this energetic activation at the base of my spine mm-hmm. and my base chakra and this vibration just making its way up my spine. And as it was rising, I just felt this hum sound like rising in frequency. So from like a low rumble to like a... And then yeah. as soon as it hit my, my third eye, my brain... I was like in the medicine instantly. Wow. And I was transported to the farm that I grew up on and I was standing in the front yard opposite my dad who had passed away like nine months earlier. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, like <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here, like I'm at the farm. Yeah. And I was so ecstatic to see him because I knew like him as the physical being right had been through so much in this lifetime that it made it super challenging for him to speak his truth speak from the heart be open and honest and vulnerable yeah so I was so excited to be able to connect with his spirit so to speak Mm -hmm. and I was like great we can talk like higher self to higher self right Mm -hmm. and I was fully like conscious in the experience and he didn't say anything and just turned around and faced his back to me and I was like, dad, what are you like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm literally here in Peru drinking this medicine from the shaman so that I can communicate with you. Apparently this is what I need. Yeah. And then I just felt this overwhelming feeling of like shame and regret come from him. And I was like, it's okay. Like I'm here. Let's communicate. Like you're, I'm obviously meant to be here to work through this with you. Yeah. And he just, he wouldn't talk to me. He just, he was still so hurt from everything. And I was like, okay, well, I'll I'll come back. I'll go do something (laughs) else. I'm like, I'll give you some time, right? Yeah. And I then went and like teleported to like my mum and did like a remote healing on her. And that's something that I'd never done before. I've never done remote healing, but I just saw her and I could see her like almost like spiritual version of herself, almost like I could see through her body and see like these, like the different layers of her body, right? Yeah. And your mum's still with us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's not she like... was sitting on the couch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And what I did see was like this weird, like black, like gooey stuff inside her. I was like, oh, that's probably not meant to be there. So, yeah. so like yeah. on a computer, you can you can hit like Command A and like control all, like select everything. Yeah. So I like highlighted all these like black cells and like hit delete, and then like they disappeared. Oh, what? I was like, sweet. I was like, cool. I'm like, that's done. <laughs> What's super interesting is like a couple of months later, we found out that she had cancer. So I was like, yeah, wild. So if you consider that, that I was potentially seeing that energetic blockage in her and I've tried to like heal it before it happened. So when she told me, I was like, no way, like that's wild. She's doing good though. I'm glad. Yeah, she's doing good. You hadn't told me that part of the story before. (laughs) Wow. She's doing well. I'm glad. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And so then I did that remote healing with mum and then I was like, okay, sweet, let's see if dad's ready to talk now. So we like shot back to the farm, except this time I teleported to like 
inside of his body as like a viewer. Mm-hmm. And so I was like seeing the world through his perception. And and earlier when we were chatting, I mentioned that he had always been there but been a little bit distant. Yeah. And so growing up, he would always have these business ideas, right? And so one was like ostriches at the farm mm-hmm. and then another one was like building hot rods and he was yeah. phenomenal with his hands. He was like a like a typical grinder, right? He would always mm-hmm. just work super hard but he never eventuated to anything. So yeah. he built a hot rod like out in the shed and then built another shed next to that and built another hot rod. <laughs> and then when that was done, he built another one. Okay. So he was always just trying to do something, always busy, and I feel like now reflecting on it, that was his way of keeping his head, head above water because yeah. if he had just slowed down and sat with himself, it just would have been too much. Yeah. And oftentimes as a kid, he would, you know, I'd be watching TV or playing Super Nintendo and he'd be like, oh, okay, and come help me with this and like hold this torch or, you know, do this bolt up while I do this. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to like play Donkey Kong or something. <laughs> And so this time when I had teleported back to the farm and I was viewing things through his his eyes essentially as yeah. like a third-party viewer and I could feel how heavy he was feeling. Yeah. And he was sitting in the shed just like sitting on an old milk crate like he had there mm-hmm. and he just felt this like feeling of disconnection with himself, with his family, with us. Like I could feel that we were all inside, like mum, my sister, me, but felt so far away from us. Yeah. And I remember watching through his eyes and he like had looked up at the balustrades in the shed and his internal dialogue was, I should just hang myself now and get it over and done with. Yeah. That's like, that must've been very difficult for you to feel. It was, I was bawling at the time while this is all happening and he then stood up, came into the house and he said, Kane, can you come like help me with the car? And in that moment, I switched back to the viewer through my younger version self. And I realized like almost every time that he's come inside to ask me for help, it had been for emotional help. Yeah. And I guess that was really the only way that he knew how at that time was just to make sure that there, I guess, to have someone else there with him, someone that he loved. So by coming in and asking you to help him yeah, was, I guess, a, a distraction away from having those negative thoughts. Exactly. Yeah. And on that, you know, for anyone listening, there's absolutely no reason to ever not ask for help. It's yeah. super powerful mm-hmm. and it takes a lot of courage to actually ask for help. A lot of people think it's weak and vulnerable but it actually Mm -hmm. takes incredible strength to speak up and and ask for help absolutely and you know i've talked about um you know men's mental health very often and you know the statistics around suicide and how skewed it is unfortunately towards men and that's why we need you know you know more people talking about it and you know more people doing the things that you're doing which we'll get to as well but absolutely that the like you said, it takes incredible strength to actually ask for help. So, yeah, if anyone is listening and they resonate or they, you know, feel that way, reach out to me. Reach out to, you know, anyone anyone mm. that you know. There's so many people that love you. Absolutely. So, so that must have been a very confronting experience, I went to say, um, Memory, that's not creative. Experience I mean, yeah, to have gone through. Well, yeah. yeah. 
How did that make you feel? Like, what did that do for you? It was, and with ayahuasca comes a lot of purging. So whether that mm-hmm. be vomiting, whether that be out the other end, mm-hmm. whether it be through breathing, yawning, crying, yeah. it's just the body's way of getting getting shit out, so to speak, right? Yeah. So, and it, it, moving that trauma, moving that energy. Mm-hmm. And for me at the time, it was such a light bulb moment yeah. to understand and feel how he was feeling. And to be honest, after sitting in his body and feeling how heavy it was, I wondered how the hell he made it so long. Yeah. Feeling that. If that's how he felt all the time, like, holy shit, like Absolutely. that's a heavy feeling. Yeah. And at, at the as soon as I realised that, Ayahuasca was like, cool, you'll learn that lesson next. <laughs> and then it showed me like these different lessons. Okay. But in the moment, because you're still, you know, you're in a meditative state, so your eyes closed, kind of feeling into all of these lessons, but your analytical mind's still on, you're still awake. So mm-hmm. in that moment I was like, oh, was that real or is that just perception? And that was before I had the awareness to just trust, you know. Yeah. So I wanted to confirm that. So when I came home... I ended up catching up with my auntie, who's my dad's sister. Mm-hmm. And I just said, hey, I, I had this experience and, you know, just out of curiosity, was dad ever suicidal? Mm-hmm. And she just burst into tears and she's like, oh. you have no idea how many times we thought we were going to lose him. And that for me just like solidified everything. I was like, holy shit, like there's yeah. so much truth and these plants have such a wisdom and helps you dig things up from your unconscious when you're ready to see it. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, we spend 99% of our day in our conscious mind Yeah. when really it's everything else that's down in our unconscious that's, you mm-hmm. know, projecting us into the day with mm-hmm. these self-limiting beliefs or self-sabotage. Or, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a, a big Huge. a big reminder for me. And, again, like a couple months later when I found out mum had cancer, I was like, wow, these, these plants are connected to... Something yeah. that we probably can't fathom in this yeah. in this physical body, right? Yeah. So, and I think like you know, but prior to having a conversation with you, like all that I knew of ayahuasca is just like I thought, okay, like people who are just chasing a high, they're just gonna go out and they're gonna. T- oh, I would have said take it because I wouldn't have even known what you did with it. And like they're just going out there to get high and chase that feeling. And I just, I had no idea. And like if if it wasn't for you being who you are and standing in front of me telling me this story, like if someone was like, oh, my friend's friend's friend says this, I would have been like bullshit. Mm. Like, but I don't know. Like I just, it, this has just been such an incredible like learning for me and I think everyone listening that, what what it what ayahuasca actually is yeah and again it's like we we mentioned earlier about the the traits of being aggressive being assertive mm. they're just all things it's about what is the intention behind them right yeah. is it used for the negative or used for the positive and ayahuasca is just the same it's a neutral substance that you can mm. either use and go to a party which i think would be a horrible experience <laughs> especially when you start purging everywhere yeah but if the intention is to sit with it and do some deep healing it's going to be a catalyst for that too so it's all it all yeah. comes down to intention same yeah. with you know food as well it's like are you unconsciously eating and binging because you're self-sabotaging or is the intention to fuel your body and nourish it because you've got certain fitness goals you want to hit it all comes back to that and I know for me showing up there and everybody else in the group the intention was to do some really deep healing Mm -hmm. and 
So what, what we just talked about was the first 10 minutes of the first ceremony. And <laughs> oh, how long does one last? Normally? About six hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, then we had four ceremonies during that week in the Amazon. Wow. So that – and the medicine oftentimes, and as my buddy Parker would say, the medicine will always give you what you need, not yeah. necessarily what you want. So I had a preconceived idea based on all of the YouTube content that I'd, yeah. pre- I'd come in. I'm like, sweet, I'm going to learn about my purpose. I'm going to come out the other end being this like 2.0 version of myself. And yeah. I didn't think my dad would come up at all, which I guess was a little bit naive of me to okay. think because I'd gone from a space of having anger towards him to neutrality, I suppose. Yeah. And then now a few years later, having a place of compassion and, and love for him yeah. and the medicine was a big catalyst in that as well. So that's so powerful. So powerful. Yeah. Another thing it showed me was because growing up, I'd always seeked my dad's approval. Mm-hmm. Whenever I was in a role that I had a male role model or like male leadership above me mm-hmm. unconsciously I would always seek their approval so I'd be mm-hmm. like the star worker so I got the pat on the back mm-hmm. and so during this that same ceremony like mother ayahuasca popped up and she's like do you know like why you know the reason why you people please like with adults in superior roles to you is because of your relationship with your dad and it was like literally that quick he goes cool you've only blessed next oh. and it was like literally like combs through your shit and wow. it like shows you your, what you need to know yeah so and the following lessons were huge on just like connecting back with nature connecting mm-hmm. with self mm-hmm. and yeah though but those two specifically experiences huge. with my dad were just yeah. I, I don't know if I could ever recreate that in yeah. any type of talk therapy or hypnotherapy or, or anything having yeah. him right in front of me, like Mm -hmm. with my eyes closed, having him right there, like I could reach out and touch him was just like something else. That's incredible. You were there for how long all up? So that first retreat, we were there for just over a week. And we had four ceremonies with with ayahuasca specifically. And then I left there feeling Mm -hmm. just this newfound sense of appreciation for myself. Mm being super proud of myself for putting myself through that. And it's it's work. It really is work. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of purging that just felt amazing. <laughs> it felt so good. Yeah. It felt so good, honestly. The heaving yeah, felt yeah, good. Yeah, it did. But I feel like it symbolises you yeah. removing all of that trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And I can't remember who said the quote. It's like trauma is not the event. It's your interpretation of the event. So we could go yes. through the same thing together, right? And it could yeah. drastically affect one of us very differently. So we've all got trauma. We've mm-hmm. all got varying degrees of trauma and you think about vicarious trauma with like frontline workers right picking up things like when they work with young people in care for example or you Mm -hmm. know police officers or firefighters that see the most horrific things you Mm -hmm. know there can be a sense of vicarious trauma that gets picked up but having this experience and every morning after a ceremony would have a sharing circle and as people are unpacking their lessons that they learned, I feel like there was this level of vicarious healing. And I remember writing it in my journal. I'm like, is vicarious healing a thing? Because I feel it. (laughs) And I'm like, if it's real for me, I guess it is, right? So that was phenomenally special. And sharing circles is something that I've been able to integrate a lot more with our practices now, which is really cool. That is incredible. Was there any kind of like feeling of like, hangover from it the next Uh, day you are 
in a way, but it's more of a body hangover. Yeah, like you're just anything. exhausted. Like <laughs> you are so exhausted. Mm-hmm. So you, we usually go to bed about one in the morning, two in the morning after starting about 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. And we we would often meet quite late the next day and a lot mm-hmm. of people can feel like the after effects of the medicine and feel a little bit um, scattered in a way mm-hmm. but more more so it's just that physical exhaustion like when you're everyone's yeah. crying and everyone's everyone's like purging and it's mm-hmm. just like it's beautiful but it takes a lot of toll on the body and that's why I say it's work yeah you need to be ready to do the work yeah and yeah like you said if you're going there with the right intentions then feeling that way the next day it it would almost be good yeah because you know that you've made some progress absolutely yeah exactly I guess to to use an analogy it would almost be like going hard at the gym and having like doms Doms, the next day right it's like yeah I did the work right it hurts but you're like it's kind of a good yeah exactly yeah (laughs) and it is and there's you once you hear the stories of everyone it's just like wow this Mm -hmm. like whether you're you know kind of speculating beforehand will it won't it help in the healing process I think there was one person that didn't really feel any effects but again the medicine will give you what you need and not what you want and if you're always someone that continues to chase the out-of-body experience maybe what you need in that moment is to actually be in your body right yeah it's got a good sense of humor yeah or maybe you know it knew that they weren't ready for you know a particular experience or something exactly so that's also very interesting exactly right and there were people there and I know they won't mind me sharing their experience that had been through being sexually assaulted as children and having Mm -hmm. fully worked through that in in, an evening experience that had lent into alcoholism pretty much all of their adult life and now pushing 60 able to yeah fully sit with it and having fully healed from it like that's worth its weight in gold honestly Like, this is just blowing my mind. Like, like obviously I can understand this could, like, you know, these kind of medicines could be... It'll be very polarising, I feel, to your audience. Some people will fully feel that it could be something to suit them and others could yeah. be like, why are they talking about drugs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think that my listenership <laughs> might be hopefully more so skewed towards the former. Mm. But I'm sure there'll be people listening who might just be like, yeah, this just, you know, this isn't landing for me. And that's also fine. But I just think this is so interesting. And it's something that like I hadn't really learned about before. So I'm very much enjoying hearing, you know, your experiences and the experiences of others. And so you had um, this trip where you were in Peru. Um, And then did you have a second trip? Yes. So about a year later, we had the opportunity to return and although I was still integrating and uh, as my buddy Parker would say it's a an immediate awakening Mm -hmm. at these retreats and a gradual integration so Mm -hmm. about two percent of the work gets done at the retreat and the other 98 percent is coming back to your everyday life and actually implementing the lessons that you learn and when you Mm -hmm. get triggered in a situation that you may have responded one way prior you get the opportunity to kind of reflect on that and show up differently. So yeah. I feel like I was still well and truly integrating that 12 months later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Parker had reached out and mentioned that after this trip to Peru the following February, we were 
uh, going to be heading up to the Andes Mountains to mm-hmm. work with another shaman and another medicine called Wachuma, which mm-hmm. is a mescaline-based uh, uh, cactus. Mm-hmm. And so the active ingredient in ayahuasca is DMT and mm-hmm. then the active in, in Wachuma is the, the mescaline. And that's a very masculine energy okay. and they call it the grandfather, so grandfather Wachuma. Mm-hmm. And so for me, having been afraid of my masculine for so long, uh, which had brought its own problems, like I said earlier about not having a backbone, not sticking up for myself, not being assertive, kind of being a bit passive with life, letting it push me around. Mm-hmm. This was something that really did take my interest. Mm-hmm. So it must have been just before my 31st birthday, we headed over mm-hmm. again and I wasn't necessarily feeling super called cool to ayahuasca again, but I thought, wow, if I got that much healing from it the year mm-hmm. prior, imagine what I could get this time yeah and I the constant messages I probably would have had I'd say 30 massive downloads the first Mm -hmm. time like 30 earth-shattering ones similar Mm -hmm. to that experience with my dad that I just mentioned Mm -hmm. and the second retreat I probably had three or four and the constant message through the four ceremonies was you're on the right track just continue the path like you Mm -hmm. don't need any more lessons necessarily except one lesson that had come through was and you're my age, so you remember like the first mm-hmm. integration of like Microsoft Word where it had that little annoying like paper clip in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't even remember the name or something. But oh, he, it would always like pop up with suggestions and mm-hmm. sort of thing and everyone would be like, oh, leave me alone. <laughs> and so what was interesting was when I was in one ceremony, I had this little avatar in the corner of my vision in the same place that the uh, paper clip was and it was giving me these like suggestions and I was like like just kind of let me do my own thing yeah and I realized that it was my internal dialogue right so when you think about something and you have that voice inside your head I was actually now seeing it as a physical version of itself and it was like it was being challenging and oftentimes like when I would fuck something up or do something my internal dialogue would be like oh you're dumb you're stupid like all of Mm. these things kind of feeding that feedback loop of having low self-esteem low self-worth all of that and what was interesting is I saw this little avatar of my internal dialogue and it had a string coming off of it Mm -hmm. and it was kind of going to the side of the screen (laughs) I was like what the fuck like (laughs) where's this going I'm like of course I'm gonna follow up And so I kind of swiped the screen across to see where the source of this string was mm-hmm. and the string had kind of come along the ground and then it raised up into like a marionette puppet handle. Yeah. Um, if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's like the little wooden cross with the strings on it <laughs> and then you kind of move it and it makes the puppet dance. <laughs> and I realised that this little internal dialogue from me was actually being puppeted by my dad. And I saw it and I was like, holy fuck, like that little voice inside my head that was always beating me down was never my own. It was actually coming from like that internal creation of like my dad being like, I'm not good enough, I'm not this. And as soon as I had realised that, it's like it lost all its power because I was like, oh, like why would I let you have power over me now? And so being aware of that was like very curative in itself. And I was like... Like, damn. (laughs) That's incredible. It was wild. So now, like, when that internal dialogue does pop up, because we're all human, we all make mistakes, right? And so now when that little voice pops up, I'm just I acknowledge it and I'm like, oh, that's not even mine. So like, fuck off, basically. So and it's slowly like getting quieter and quieter and quieter, which is really cool. 
So very interesting. So that, that was the probably the biggest download that I had the second time around. Yeah. Other than yeah, you're on the path, just keep it going. Yeah. So that was very I was very grateful for that. Yeah. And then uh, after we left there, so we ended up going on a pilgrimage up to the Andes. Mm-hmm. So my buddy Parker, my friend Kylie, and my friend Paul. And we went and met up with a, another shaman up there called Don Martin, and he's a 20-year resident of this place called Charveen. So mm-hmm. for everybody listening, I'm going to give you a little history lesson here. So <laughs> Charveen was a, a culture of consciousness, a civilization that existed before the Incas about 1500 BC, so about 3,500 years ago. And Charveen in the Cheshwa language roughly translate to the centre of centres. And if you look at the Andean corridor and the Andes ranges, which goes from the, I guess, the south, south Colombia all the way down to Chile, Charveen is almost smack bang in the middle up in the Peruvian highlands. And it's said to have been settled by the people of the Amazon based on the stone carvings, which mm-hmm. are of the Balti Eagle, the Jaguar and the Anaconda, which does not exist up in the <laughs> Andes Mountains. Yeah. And where this temple is built, it's a huge temple with over six kilometres of tunnels underneath it. Wow. And it's situated in this fork in the river. Mm-hmm. And the reason why people say it was the people of the Amazon that settled it um, was because of the art, but also if you follow the Amazon River from down in the Amazon jungle and you follow it all the way up for hundreds of kilometres up into the mountains, it gets to a point where the river forks off and becomes the Rio Mosna and the Wachesca River, and between that fork is where this temple is built. Okay. And it's kind of gobsmacking in a way because at the time there was a lot of war kind of going on and a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of people that would have, you know, easily been able to take that space because it was yeah. built between the two mountains, which yeah. could have been attacked from both sides down. But mm-hmm. the stories go that this place had like such, I guess, importance almost as much as Jerusalem back in the day. And people would yeah. pilgrimage there from the coast. People would pilgrimage there from the Amazon because there's shells there, like up in the middle of the yeah. mountains. And everyone that would come there would be served this sacrament called Wachuma, which is the preparation of the San Pedro cactus. Mm-hmm. And much the opposite to ayahuasca, this is a very social medicine. So instead of being done in the dark at night time, mm-hmm. you would have a ceremony in the middle of the day and instead of seeing things that weren't necessarily there and your subconscious bringing things up, it just makes you see things as they really are. Mm-hmm. And so my interpretation of that is what's going on around us right now is actuality it's what's actually happening and how we perceive it is our reality based mm-hmm. on our own experiences traumas uh things that have happened to us so that's how we interpret it through our own personal lens and so yeah. what it does is essentially remove that lens altogether mm-hmm. and it's like seeing things for the first time wow. so you and it heightens everything like a mm-hmm. hug feels amazing like a raindrop <laughs> on your skin yeah. like food tastes amazing and it's just this beautiful energy that's a super gentle energy to be able to work with okay and for me that's where all a lot of my masculine healing had come Mm -hmm. up and it was during one of the wachuma ceremonies that that box got pulled out from my the Mm -hmm. back of my mind's attic and it's like hey remember when you were 
about eight and you decided never to step into your assertiveness, aggressiveness, this, 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 because you did that because you saw those traits being used against someone that you love, which was your mum. Yeah. It's okay to lean into those things with the right intention and it like wow. unlock that box again. And what? it was after <laughs> that that I started being interested in, like I said, riding motorbikes, martial arts, yeah. doing a bodybuilding competition, like things that yeah. I never would have considered before. So that was one of the biggest downloads I had from that. that. And then just a lot of other stuff. It's a potentiator and it kind of brings things up. So I remember at the time thinking about starting a business and it's like gave me all of this sales copy and like (laughs) super interesting like marketing like quotes and all this stuff. And it just is just such an amazing energy of a plant. But it was it was very, yeah, very much focused in my masculine and a lot of more healing around my dad. So Yeah. yeah, that's a very a very beautiful energy and if people are I guess considering working with one of the the major teacher plants and they're a little bit apprehensive about ayahuasca wachuma is a very beautiful easy to work with energy to to kind of get you started so yeah yeah because they sound like very obviously very different experiences yeah absolutely yeah yeah so you had these two um different experiences that you've then come home back to Adelaide again what sort of space were you in then I was in a a a beautiful space where Mm -hmm. I feel like I'd done so much of my own healing and had come so far that it also then made my practices at home even stronger so Mm -hmm. my discipline my breathwork practices Mm -hmm. my meditation my journaling I was so much more present I could go so much deeper with my meditations and breathwork Mm -hmm. and it felt like I had like a new lease on life and I kind of did come back at that as that 2.0 version of myself and so much of my limiting beliefs had been left behind or at least when I had those limiting beliefs I was able to acknowledge that that was an old pattern that was no longer serving me and move through it yeah so I was showing up as a much more integrated version of myself I stopped you know had stopped using drugs and alcohol to escape and even now like I don't really drink much anymore like Mm -hmm. I might have like a a drink or two to just enjoy and be present whereas before I would have one and then I just wouldn't be able to stop I'd be like all right let's get another one let's get another one and then it would transition into this ridiculous episode right yeah whereas now I have a much better relationship with with alcohol and with food and those sorts of things so coming back I I never thought I would get onto the path of service, but a lot of the mm-hmm. messages were about helping others mm-hmm. and paying it forward. And I remember leaving the uh, retreat and Parker left a few beautiful words with us mm-hmm. and a couple of quotes, one from Heraclitus, which is no man ever steps in the same river twice for it's not the same river and he's not the same man. And I very much felt like that coming back. Yeah. And my interpretation of that in everyday life is I might be showing up in the same scenarios at work, for example, Mm -hmm. in the gym, for example, in a relationship, Mm -hmm. but I'm a different version of myself. So how am I going to bring that new perspective in? And every day is an opportunity to practice that, right? In in everyday life, in traffic, right? You know, you get cut off, are you going to flip (laughs) up the bird? I'll just be like, oh, you know, I'm just going to bring with it. So, (laughs) Did you read my LinkedIn? Because I literally posted about that yesterday Flip, about you flipping people about off? people flipping the bird <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> right. anyway cool yeah um, but I know what you mean yeah and another one this is another one of my favorite quotes can't remember who wrote it uh was 
at Winston Churchill, this may not be, this isn't the end. This isn't even the beginning of the end. However, it may be the end of the beginning. And I felt like coming out of that, it did feel like the beginning of my life because yeah. I'd left so much of my trauma, so much of my conditioning, so much of my shit behind that I felt yeah. like this new lease on life. And at the time, I just, I felt good cruising along, just doing me. Yeah. And then a couple of years passed and I found a few things kind of happened all at once. And I saw men, and this isn't, you know, to rag on men or anything like that, to kind of getting back to what we spoke about at the start of not knowing how to show up, not yeah. knowing where to go for support, not knowing how to work on their shit, mm-hmm. men hurting themselves mm-hmm. and therefore hurting the people around them. Mm-hmm. And a few of these situations were very close to home and yeah. that kind of became the catalyst for wanting to step onto the path of service in a, in a bigger way. Yeah. And at that time I was, I had moved back to Adelaide Mm -hmm. and had the concept of wanting to be of service Mm -hmm. and was super grateful to meet my my brother, uh, Stefan Supic, and created a men's group called Man on Purpose where we could create a space for men to be able to come and connect, Mm -hmm. to be open, to be vulnerable, to heal and to grow. And we had the intention to just show up as a space where we could share what has helped us mm-hmm. in way of breath work, meditation, community is such a big one. And huge community is massive. Yeah, exactly. So wanting to just open a space mm-hmm. and that was in about February this year, just okay. gone. Yeah. And we have just kind of let it grow. It's like mm-hmm. this beautiful little organism itself mm-hmm. and we're just watering it and it's growing in a couple of different directions. And yeah. we started off and did a few collaborations with gyms where we kind of come in and, and run like a mindful flow of like breath work, mm-hmm. meditation, cold exposure. Mm-hmm. And it's grown into this beautiful being where now both men and women come together every Saturday. We run a, a beach session at Henley Beach Seven thirty, eight thirty. Um, <laughs> I know. I often see it on my walks. Yeah, because um, and I you would... never stop. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know. I have stopped and looked, and then kept walking. But I've, every time I stopped and looked, I was like, "Okay, I need to join them one week." And I haven't yet, Absolutely. but I'm now I, I have no choice now. I no. definitely need to come and join. Exactly. But w- more than willingly. Yeah. But so that is held for women and men. That's it's right. For anybody. Yeah, we probably should have reconsidered the name at the beginning <laughs> because we have what appears to be even more women involved okay. with the space now. So yeah. what we do is traditionally we'll run a, a men's retreat every month. So that'll be yeah. like a three-hour deep dive where we go into some journaling, some shadow work, breath work, meditation, just a safe space for men to just yeah. be open and vulnerable and sit around the fire. So, and I think that's, that is still really important though to have a space that is solely for men. Absolutely. Because not all men probably feel co- comfortable to open up in the same way around women yes and you know i I can understand that i agree completely yeah and so the saturday morning that's Mm -hmm. like a combination for the men and and the women Mm -hmm. and we've actually seen demand now for holding space specifically for women as well um in a space to be held by the masculine so yeah that was a beautiful experience to hold our first women's circle not too long ago and 
coming into the new year, we talk yeah. about, you know, connection to country and nature and mm-hmm. we're looking to hold a, a few more deeper dive retreats. We held our first uh, destination retreat this year where we um, did a collaboration and we spent five days up in the Whit Sundays on a sailing boat where <sighs> each day was, and this was just for the men, spent, yeah. you know, meditating focusing on breath work, meditation, mm-hmm. a lot of journaling and just a lot of, you know, disconnecting from your usual routine and yeah. and getting back to, to finding yourself. So we're planning a few more of those into the new year. Yeah. And would you say that like the men that are joining you on these retreats, just as in general, have they had exposure to these types of things before or for a lot of them, is this the first time they've been introduced to something like meditation or breath work? Yeah, great question. A lot of the men that have shown up actually – often have a background having seat to a psychologist or a therapist or things like that. So I guess the biggest similarities is that they're open to doing the work, yeah. whether that be through any modality. But a lot of people that have come on these retreats, you know, doing breath work, meditation and cold exposure, the first time they've done that might be on a Saturday with us. And yeah. oftentimes it's, it's the word of mouth when people get, you know, invited along and, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it's, you know, some people have been on the path before and they're kind of coming back to it or they want to do some work in a group setting and other people they're coming to it for their first time, but it's a an open space where absolutely everybody's welcome. It's incredible. I tried cold water therapy for the first time this year or like an ice bath, whatever you want to call it. And I remember because I'm a cold person, like all the time, always cold. And I remember getting in there and thinking like, there's just no way that I'm going to like, we did two minutes, two minutes in there after a workout as well. So my body was like hot Yeah. and I remember getting in and I would have been up to my shoulders. So like they told us to put our arms in, which was very difficult and just sitting there and it like, it does take your breath away and just having to like solely focus on, I guess, slowing your breath down Mm -hmm. and, um relaxing and just like I don't know just like trusting that you're gonna be fine I don't know if this makes I don't know if what I'm saying makes any sense at all but I'm picking up what you're putting down don't worry (laughs) but it was very like you know I got to a point where I was like you know my hands were like hurting and I was sitting there and they're like okay 30 seconds to go and like 10 seconds to go and they're like you should dunk your head under and so I did and then you get out and that like I guess, is it the endorphins or whatever? Like the the feeling you get afterwards is incredible. Yes, absolutely. And there's, there's so much to it. I think mm-hmm. there's a big difference between choosing to go in the ice versus being pushed in the ice, right? <laughs> so having yeah. that, you know, you've got the ability to choose, like that already puts you in a really good space to, to tackle something challenging. Yeah. So there's a big, and Joe Rogan calls it the inner bitch that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you want to conquer. Yeah. And... It's, there's so many physiological benefits mm-hmm. um, and there's another fellow that I'm thinking of that you should get on here that can probably dive into that a little <laughs> bit deeper who's a Wim Hof trainer. And there's, yeah, there's so many benefits like human growth hormone. It obviously yeah. helps with digestion. Um, it helps like with your brown fat cells to kick in for those, that like turbo, thermo metabolism, I think it is, to mm-hmm. kind of warm you up. So mm-hmm. there's, yeah, there's a lot of benefits to it. Not only just being the psychological of like, damn, I've done that. Yeah. Like, and you said exactly, exactly right. It's all about yeah. controlling the breath and by bringing control to the breath, 
you're essentially sending the messages to the body that it's okay to calm down. Because yeah. as soon as you get in, you're going to be into that like fight, flight, freeze mode, right? Yeah. And it's going to, your brain's going to tell you all of the reasons why you should get <laughs> out and I'm going to die and what are we doing? And But you do feel phenomenal afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. So you like cold water therapy that much that you literally have like a freezer with water in it in your house, yeah. right? So or whenever you're in the one. house in the backyard, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so like, Obviously, it's filled with water. I saw in your story the other day, you were, like, breaking, like, the sides had obviously, like, frozen inside. But do you just know what the right temperature is to keep it cold enough but not the whole thing frozen? Yeah, mine's very primitive in that (laughs) I literally just turn it on until it starts freezing and then I turn it off. Whereas some people's setups have, like, full thermostats to keep it at a certain temperature. Some people use Epsom salts. Mine's, like, tap water and I I freeze it until there's, like, ice (laughs) and then I turn it off. And so do you get in there every day? Uh, No, not every day. There's an amazing podcast by the Huberman Lab and they talk Mm -hmm. about some studies show 11 minutes a week. So I usually aim for that. And so typically I'll do three to five minutes in the ice per session. Three to five minutes. Yeah, yeah, per session. So I might do two or three a week. During winter, um, I was in comp prep, so I didn't have an ice bath for about eight months. Yeah. And then typically every Saturday when we run our Super Saturdays with Man on Purpose, we'll have an ice bath there too. So Yeah. yeah, a couple times a week at least. At the um, sessions down at Henley, are you doing like just a couple of minutes or is yeah, that two minutes. person? Yeah, two minutes each because okay. typically we get a fair few people there and if we yeah. did any longer, we'd be there until lunchtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so bring your bathers tomorrow. Yeah. Three to five minutes is a long time. Yeah, it's good. So obviously this is something that you do to take care of your mental health on, in an ongoing fashion. Correct. What else do you do to take care of yourself? Yeah, great question. And I think my approach to mental health now is very different to what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Prior to these experiences in South America and finding breathwork and meditation, I was very reactive mm-hmm. with my practices. So I would go 100% and then I would burn out and I would mm-hmm. need to disappear for a couple of days to just go and do nothing and literally recharge because I had hit a wall or I was getting sick or whatever it is. But now instead of going for a few months and crashing, I use it as a, instead of a reactive practice, it's a proactive practice because when I do those, I know that I can show up better and I know that I don't have to take that time at the end of a couple of months to to go and recover. I do because I like it, but I don't need to do it. So Mm -hmm. now my practices look a lot like gratitude. So Mm -hmm. every time I wake up, I just give a list of three things that I'm grateful for Mm -hmm. and, you know, the mind will focus on and expand what it, sorry, the, what you focus on expands. So, absolutely. so by focusing on gratitude, naturally you're going to be tuned to look for good things during the day, yeah. right? Instead of waking up and be like, fuck, I'm late. I stubbed my toe and this is shit, that shit, my car yeah. didn't start. Of course, you're going to continue to see things that will feed that loop during mm-hmm. the day, right? So being very conscious about starting my day, right? So make my bed yeah. gratitude. And then the gym for me is a big meditation. So I love Mm -hmm. moving my body Mm -hmm. and breath work, Mm -hmm. meditation, journaling. Mm -hmm. Journaling something that I will often neglect in a way, but then I'll do like a two-hour dump uh, at the end of the week or every couple of weeks. So 
oftentimes I will do like a little journal in the morning around my gratitude, but Mm -hmm. it's not like the full mind dump. But for anyone that doesn't journal, it's one of the most powerful tools to just get everything out of your head Mm -hmm. onto paper. And if it's something that you, you know, just be truly honest with yourself. And if it's a shit letter, go burn it. Like, honestly, there's so much power in that too. Just whatever's in your mind, just get it out. Yeah. So that has been a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, breath work is a, is a big practice as well for me. That gets me out of my head and into my body. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, like I can be an overthinker. So by mm-hmm. consciously focusing on the breath work, you're forced mm-hmm. out of your head, yeah. which is nice. And same with the ice bath. As soon as you jump in, you're not yeah. thinking about, you're not thinking about like work or anything yeah. else. You're forced to be like, oh, crap, I'm going to do that. So <laughs> It's uh, it's a beautiful way to break that cycle, and yeah. especially on the days where I'm like, oh no, I don't want to do it today. I'm like, that's exactly yeah. These what are I the days, yeah, exactly. When you need to yeah. do it for when sure. you're chasing comfort. So yeah, yeah. So for me, those I, I mix in a, a bit every week. So I'll do at least one breath work for myself a yeah. week outside of running it on Saturday. Of course, a couple yeah. of ice baths, mm-hmm. meditation at least a couple of times a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just whenever I'm feeling called, and yeah, I make the time. It sounds like a pretty good mix to me. Mm. Yeah, and and sometimes I might go hard out with meditation for a month Mm -hmm. or breath work or whatever I'm feeling called to. It's just feeling into what the body needs and what the mind needs. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So if, you know, if anyone's listening and they're thinking, you know, like what you're saying sounds really interesting, what would you sort of like recommend to them if they wanted to find out more information on plant medicine, like, where can they go other than just Google? Yeah, it's – and I can only speak to what I've Absolutely. I've experienced yeah. and what I can recommend for myself. So mm-hmm. the, the retreat center that I visited in Peru was Spirit Quest mm-hmm. and they are – uh, one of the, I guess, the most reputable sources have been around since 1995 when Don mm-hmm. Howard founded it. His daughter has now taken that over mm-hmm. um, following his lineage after his passing. So beautiful, beautiful community down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other is, um, yeah, just taking the time to to do your own research. And Aubrey Marcus has some amazing content on mm-hmm. ayahuasca, on Wachuma. Mm-hmm. Um, my only caveat to that would be don't, if you, if you know that you want to do it, don't spend over 100 hours researching and watching videos like I did because <laughs> I went into the experience with... A preconceived Correct, idea. yeah. And yeah. so you really want to come into it very neutral mm-hmm. without expectations because expectations can really be the thief of joy in plant medicine and everyday life, right? Yeah. So do research so that you feel confident enough to have found a center that you feel would work with you. I can only speak to spirit quest um, and the shaman that I work with. And I'm going to be working with again uh, next month um, heading up and I'm going to be utilizing my now late brother Parker, who, Mm -hmm. who had an accident earlier this year and passed on Mm -hmm. uh, working with his, his friend out of smiling Jaguar retreats, which is a nod to Don Howard and the Mm -hmm. smiling Jaguar and returning to the Peruvian highlands. So, yeah, yeah. so they're the only people that I can necessarily recommend. Unfortunately, these things yeah. are not available legally here in Australia. When I first moved back, I had really wanted to help mm-hmm. legalise these things because of how much healing I had yeah. been through. So I started uh, volunteering, volunteering with a company called Mind Medicine Australia. So they're out of Melbourne and they are 
trying to reschedule MDMA and psilocybin, which is mushrooms, uh, for psychotherapy because they've yeah. done a lot of studies showing that over 50% of treatment-resistant patients, so this is patients that have tried psychotherapy, had tried psychologists, have tried other forms of therapy with no results toward mm -hmm. their depression, anxiety, and PTSD, over 50% of those participants saw remission and no signs of depression, anxiety, depression after 12 months from only two sessions with psychotherapy, with psilocybin and MDMA. So yeah. they're seeing this data going, this is a huge a huge way to help people heal. Mm -hmm. And they're in the process of trying to reschedule with the TGA uh, here in Australia from a Schedule 9 to a Schedule 8, which would make them more available. Okay. But yeah. the TGA is rejected at three times in the last two years. So it's like right. we know what helps, but the establishment just isn't catching up with it. And unfortunately, my own personal opinion is until the government realises how much, and, you know, this is for the wrong reasons, but how much money they can make from this, like looking mm. at Colorado and the legalisation of marijuana, I think they made like billions of dollars the first year that marijuana was legalised, right? Yeah. But what comes with that is a huge problem of these organisations and corporations monopolising these these things that come from the ground, yeah. right, which is just bullshit because yeah. there's so many people already taking out trademarks and everything on like variations of psilocybin and right. so it's, it's a slippery slope. Absolutely. My goal and my hope would be that these things would become more available to help people heal more. I don't want it to come at the cost of the companies essentially owning the IP. Yeah, okay. Because it's something that grows. Yeah. Again, coming back to the right intention, you know. Yeah, of course. So. Um, and just in case anyone's listening, like we're not recommending that you just go foraging Please for mushrooms um, and that that's going to cure your depression. I yeah, feel like no. I need to throw yeah. that in there as a disclaimer. <laughs> Absolutely. For the people that do decide to take their own journeys, Mind Medicine Australia actually offer integration therapy. So if you've had... Uh, your own experience with medicines and have had a bit of a tough time with integration, you can reach out to them for an anonymous uh, okay. integration session essentially with their psychologist. So, again, not recommending, yeah. Yeah. but there are support services available. Oh, that's, that's good to know as well. And I can try and put all these info in the show notes. I'll have to get them off of you first. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Just send them to me. Yeah, exactly. So I guess like looking back at everything that you have now been through how do you feel about this journey I feel like and everyone says you look back on the most challenging times and oftentimes you realize they were the most beautiful yeah. and looking back on that week in 2018 I wouldn't be where I am now mm -hmm. if that didn't happen yeah. and I wouldn't be on the path of service if mm -hmm. I didn't have that experience with my dad growing up and then mm -hmm. having done my own healing and I feel like a a big part of my calling now is to continue to help others mm. and be of service. And I feel like it was all, it was all necessary. So as challenging mm. as it was, I, I wouldn't be where I am now without it. Yeah. And yeah, very optimistic and mm -hmm. very excited about the future with a lot of other people focused on the path of service. Mm -hmm. But first of all, we need to work on ourselves. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And like, I very much, I guess, resonate with that feeling of wanting to be of service 
to other people and that's like a huge driving factor for me as to why I do the podcast so that's really nice and it's nice to be able to connect with other people who feel the same yeah absolutely I think you're you're doing something amazing with this podcast and I'm super excited for for your listeners because it seems Mm -hmm. like you've got such a range of of guests Mm -hmm. uh, not only have already been on here but also Mm -hmm. in mind so and it's all about and with these things you know this is my own personal experience right and other people uh if we're if we consider the destination to be you know our own positive mental health and a positive relationship with ourselves Mm -hmm. some people find that through yoga some people find that through dancing some people Mm -hmm. find that through therapy I have found my own personal growth to be the strongest through plant medicine. So hopefully, I guess this exposure and exposure to all of the different ways that people find themselves can maybe fast track other people's growth and maybe find something that resonates. So by having all of these different people on, you're exposing these people to these these different ways to do it. And, you know, if it lands with one person and and helps them, then it's amazing. Yeah. And that's the point. Like that's why I want everyone to be able to come on and just tell their story because someone out there will resonate with it. So it's all worth it. Amazing. Yes. So if anyone wants to find you or find Man on Purpose mm-hmm. and connect through that, how can they do that? Yeah, best way is probably Instagram. Mm-hmm. So I'm at Kane, C-A-I-N mm-hmm. dot Dover, D-O-V-E-R. Mm-hmm. And Man on Purpose is at Man dot on Purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we mainly spend most of our time on, on Instagram, but yeah. also same on Facebook. Yeah. And we'd love to see you all soon. Yeah. And if anyone is in Adelaide specifically, mm-hmm. do they need to book in to join you on a Saturday? And where can they find you? Yes. So just head to our website, manonpurpose.com.au. We have all of our events, uh, everything that we have coming up on there, mm-hmm. uh, which include our Super Saturdays, our men's retreats, our women's retreats. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'll have a, a few more cool things coming up next year. So. I'm very excited to see. And I'm very excited to come and join a Saturday session very, very soon. We'd be honoured to have <laughs> Thank you. Um, any last words before we wrap it up? Um, <laughs> I think first and foremost, just for everybody listening, thank you uh, mm-hmm. for listening. It's it's been a, a decent length podcast now, <laughs> and so if you're still listening here, you know you're you're obviously on that path of wanting yeah. to learn, wanting to grow. Oftentimes, it's not easy, but it's mm-hmm. absolutely worth it. So thank you for for showing up, doing these things, and doing the healing. Like I said, isn't easy, but as long as you can show up for yourself first, you can then better show up for your friends, your family, yeah. and your community. So if no one else says thanks and good job today, then let it be us. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted to say a massive thank you to you. You have travelled from the other side of Adelaide today to come and join me in my studio kitchen on a beautiful day two days before Christmas. So My pleasure. I'm very, very honoured and I'm very glad that our paths have crossed. Likewise. Um, and I hope you have a lovely Christmas. Thanks. You too. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, yes, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I am super excited to be able to bring it to you next year. And I am wishing all of you a wonderful 2023 and please keep listening. The podcast isn't going anywhere and I appreciate all of your support. All right, guys, doey. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Even better, if you know someone who might benefit from listening to it, please tell them all about it. 
You'll find more information from today's episode in the show notes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on High Tide, Low Tide, please email me at lisa, spelled L-E-E-S-A, at hightidelowtideau.com or DM me on Instagram at hightidelowtideau. See you next time.